This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. You're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast with Joe and Matt. Hello all and welcome to the first episode of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast. My name is Matt Baum. I write about and appraise comics for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. I'm the manager of Legend Comics, and I am the artist and co-creator of the webcomic Good Plus. Each week, Joe and I get together, and we talk about some comic book headlines, do a couple reviews, and talk about some comics that are coming out this next week that we're real excited about. Now, right about this time, we like to start the show off with the big news, where we look at some of the biggest headlines from this week and uh, give you our opinion on what's going on in the comic book world. The big news this week was a strange coincidence where three extremely high-resolution photos of Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, Chris Hemsworth as Thor, and Chris Evans as Captain America all hit the net, instantly igniting a firestorm of nerds on both sides. Joe Patrick, what do you think? Um, Well, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think they were purposefully released uh, to get people excited, and it seems to be working. Uh, I thought... For the most part, all three of the actors looked pretty great. Um, there are some small, nitpicky, nerd things that I could say about the Spider-Man costume. I will not. I will. Um, <laughs> not to be, and I don't want to be internet hater guy, but I will say it does look like they stripped the costume off Tobey Maguire, tucked it in a little bit, or lengthened it, because I think Garfield's taller, and slapped it right back on him. I mean, this is... They're reloading the story. Hopefully we don't get another origin story because I think we all know where Spidey came from by now. We're definitely getting another origin story. They cast Uncle Ben and Aunt May. (sighs) Anyway, the costume doesn't look bad. It just looks exactly the same to me. And I wasn't hoping for like a Scarlet Spider and a hooded sweatshirt or something. That would be awesome. Which would really be something to talk about. I don't know about (laughs) awesome, but it would be something. (laughs) But, I mean, that said, it just it looks very similar. And I don't know how they're going to get... Nerds like me, hardcore Spidey guys, real excited about this one. Well, I mean, you have to look real close to see that it is different from the Tobey Maguire costume. Sure. Like, if you look at it, you see that, like, the legs of the spider, and I'm um, motioning on my own body, which is very effective (laughs) for internet audio, but, like, the legs of the spider on the chest go all the way down. And he's got some kind of weird design thing going on on his gloves. So it's slightly different, uh, but very reminiscent. And certainly when we're watching him swing above the skyscrapers in CG at high speed, it's not going to look any different. No, it does look a little more superhero. But then again, I would argue that both costumes looked anything but homemade. What I'm saying is I didn't buy that Tobey Maguire sewed his costume, <laughs> and I find it hard to believe that Andrew Garfield gets a bunch of high polymer plastics and just whips out a spider, you know, a Spidey costume of this it, caliber of quality. It, well, for sure. Like, uh, a big part of the old 60s origin is that he supposedly sewed his costume from scratch, silk screened the webbing on it, which I don't think is something you can do from your tiny uh, suburban bedroom. And uh, I used the, to silk screen like punk rock posters for uh, flyers and stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah, all right, you know. Uh, but I mean, definitely those costumes look uh, manufactured. But you just got to let that go. I would rather look cool than look like some fifteen-year-old sewed it in his. Sure, but I think the superhero look works with Thor and Captain America, and they should look that way because Thor is a god and Captain America is a soldier. Obviously, the military made his costume for him, and I really like. The direction they took the design with the ultimate cap, kind of look the straps and the helmet, 
You know, I mean, that's that's how he should look, like a World yeah, War II soldier. I mean, I, I have a tiny bit of a problem with him running around in a helmet. Like, I miss the actual costume aspect of it, but it makes more sense because right. he is it, a soldier. It's silly. He's running around in his PJs yeah. in World War II. I mean, I mean come and on. I did not expect, like, actual wings on his head and, uh, you know, so it does work. And I think the Thor costume looks phenomenal. Yeah, perfect. Um, Absolutely perfect. He looks like he stepped right out of uh, J. Michael Straczynski's Thor um, I love bearded Thor. The whole, the whole. Absolutely, nine. Norse god, clean shaven Norse god, kind of silly. Yeah, um, and I am very excited for the Thor movie, just based on the the trailer and the the photos they keep leaking. Not to mention the fact that they showed a replica of the Infinity Gauntlet uh, at Comic Con, and I want to know how that's going to tie in. If it's going to be part of the Avengers movie, like all my nerd buttons are being pushed by that Thor movie. Yeah, opening up a whole can of worms there, to tell you the truth. But that's it for the big news. Now we're going to move on to comic book reviews. And the way we've decided to do things is that each week, Matt and I will pick one book from that current week's releases. For this episode, it will be books that were released on January 12th. And then we will pick one book from the following week that we are excited to read. uh, The stuff that will be released next week, January 19th. The reviews will be spoiler-free for the most part, and then we'll rate each book on our skim it, buy it, or leave it scale. Skim it meaning not bad, worth a read. Buy it meaning take it home and archive it. And leave it meaning leave it on the shelves, not worth your time. This week I decided to review Thunder Agents number three from DC Comics by Nick Spencer and Kafu or Kafu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Kafu. If you're listening, maybe you could send us a little message on how to pronounce it. But anyway, Thunder Agents has been brought back to DC. Well, not necessarily brought back. They started Tower Comics back in the 60s. DC had plans for years now to reinvent this series. And finally, it is back and it's excellent. Really, really enjoy this one. Uh, writer Nick Spencer, who has been blowing up over at Image Comics with Morning Glories, has just really brought this fresh, kind of almost Bendis-type quippy dialogue without going for the cute that Bendis goes for. It's a little more serious and gritty. There's some really kind of adult themes going on in this one. Some uh, This episode centered around No Man, No Man being one of the original Thunder agents from back in the 60s. And I think he's going to be the only original guy on the team so far what it looks like. He was a scientist, Dr. Anthony Dunn, back in the day, and learned how to basically project his uh, psyche, I guess, into an android body. And there were several of these other android bodies, so if that android body was killed, he could jump into another one. And they sort of suggest in this storyline that every time he had made a jump, he lost a little more of his humanity, which has led him to sort of become this sort of Dr. Manhattan kind of character. It doesn't help that the character is also blue. Spencer's writing, like I said, is just fantastic. And the back-and-forth dialogue between these characters, really fun to read. Not much actually happens in this issue outside of some flashbacks. The flashbacks are drawn by Howard Chaikin. And i got to say, I haven't enjoyed a lot of Chaikin's work in the last 10 years or so, but he looks really good here. Not a lot happening here other than... The, uh, I can't remember her name. I want to say it's Anne, I think, coming from the Thunder headquarters to interview No Man to try and get him back on the team. And this 
Colleen is her name, pardon me, and the back and forth between her and No Man and these flashbacks to the 60s of what was going on with him sort of beginning to lose his humanity a little bit here and there. But a really, really great issue. More really strong art by Cafu, or Cafu as we said, who kind of reminds me of uh, a Gary Frank, a younger Gary Frank. Yeah. Very clean-lined, sort of, uh, I don't know, almost a less cartoony Jim Lee even in some of his... uh, his thin line work. Yeah, I think Gary Frank is a very appropriate comparison. Yeah, but I really enjoyed this issue, and so far Thunder Agents has been a fantastic read. I'm going to give this one a strong buy it. Joe? I agree. Uh, I think that this book is fantastic. Um, uh, the Gary Frank comparison is very, very good, and I did not think of that at all. Um, I'm smarter than you. You must shut up. <laughs> I love... Uh, everything about this issue, the the scene where he is jumping from body to body when the Thunder representative comes in is uh, funny. And Howard Chaikin's art is pretty nice. I have not enjoyed him much in recent times. But uh, he, he's got like a, a quality to his art these days that uh, seems very similar to kind of how Kyle Baker's art has evolved. Yeah. I don't know if it's electronic <clears throat> coloring or electronic finishing or something but i agree there's like an animation yeah. feel to it on very kyle baker um but it's good uh and there is a cliffhanger that uh i didn't see coming um though that does kind of lead me to one of my complaints um i mean we're only on issue three so we'll see but with the exception of the last issue um that dealt with the speedster character um, we don't know anything about the team. Uh, the book focuses mainly on the represent the government representatives that are like the Wranglers, and uh, the majority of the cast are kind of like blank slates. And I don't feel like I know anything about them. So when the cliffhanger came, I was like, "Well, that's interesting," but I don't really know anything about that guy to begin with. So, but it's only issue three, and um, I'm enjoying every minute of it. Uh, the second issue was gut-wrenching. Yeah, really good. Um, really good stuff. Wait. And I know that we weren't around to review that one, but... We uh, haven't been born yet. We, yes. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, if that's any indication of what's to come out of this book and uh, this writer, I am 100% on board. It's a buy-it. Strong buy-it from Joe yeah. Patrick as well. I agree with what you're saying with not really knowing what the team does, uh, like who Spider is, who's the bad guy. So I believe Spider, oh, it stands for something ridiculous. And it's just great. Secret People's International Directorate for Extra Legal Revenue. Secret what? (laughs) Just secret people. Eat that shield, you know? (laughs) Like, that's it, yeah, that's just too good. Um, As far as what the good guys and the bad guys are doing, no, we don't know yet. I think, and that could be a danger for the book, too, because Spencer's building something really interesting here. But in the modern age of comic book retail sales, if you're not shipping you know, within the top 100 each month, then your book could be going away. So I'm hoping yeah. DC gives him a chance to flesh this out. I think when he does, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I will say, there isn't another DC book being published right now that has this type tone to it. This right. very realistic, kind of edgy tone. And I'm... It's just wonderful. I'd love to see what Spencer could do with later on with a book like Detective, honestly. I know that sales are always a concern with a new title, 
this book has uh, at least a little bit of a built-in uh, attraction because it's based on an older property. But um, a Wally Wood property, a Wally way. Wood property, yeah, a beloved uh, artist. But um, if if national sales are anything like our sales here in town, uh, every issue has gone up, and uh, it, I don't know if it's based on Nick Spencer's name or if people are really latching on to the concept and the quality of the book. But if it continues to be this good, and if sales continue to rise, this book's going to be around for a long time. Um, but I did want to make a, a point. Um, I know Wally Wood uh, was a beloved a creator, and he did a lot of great work in his time. The No Man costume is completely hideous. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Well, orange, an orange oh, bodysuit yeah. and a purple hoodie. Oh, it's creepy. It's, That's why it's, no, it's contrasting it's, and creepy. It's oh, not it. creepy. And it very is. very 60s. It's fun. Yeah. It's, I like it. They updated all the other costumes, but not his. It's it's gross. Keep but, in mind, folks, this is also the same guy who thought Absence, the chick with the big hole in her head, was a good villain. Hey, I didn't say that she was a good villain. I said that I did not hate Stupid. Paul Cornell's Batman and, and Robin. The, and the giant scissors were dumb. As a fill-in arc, this... Uh, we're not talking about that now. That's not our pick. It's time for us to move on. So, Joe, now it's your turn. What did you read this week? I picked BPRD... Hell on Earth, Gods, number one of three from Dark Horse. That title is kind of a mouthful. Uh, it's written by Mike Mignola and John Arcuti, with art by Guy Davis and colors by Dave Stewart, who colors all the Hellboy uh, universe stuff. So this issue picks up right after the previous series, which was BPRD, Hell on Earth, New World. Um, and basically, the setup is... Uh, Humanity is screwed. Um, the demons are invading. Monsters are everywhere. Er, uh, volcanoes are erupting within the borders of the United States. Houston, pretty much the entire uh, Texas city. Texas is, right? yeah, uh, in a bad way. People are scrambling to get out of Texas because it is not a good place to be. This issue picks up with a group of transients or. Well, the young people, really, that have kind of banded together to help each other get out of danger. And they are being led by this teenage girl named Phoenix. And she's got psychic powers, and she knows when the danger's coming. And Not everybody she, believes she's psychic, though. Right. And um, they are just one step ahead of, like, the worst stuff. Like, she got him out of town before it was obliterated. She knows... What's a safe place to hide out? What isn't? You know, that sort of thing. She is sick. We she don't know what. Yeah, something terrible, I'm sure. They are trying to get her to go to some sort of doctor, but she refuses. And uh, not everybody in the group is satisfied with her leadership. And so there's a little bit of drama. They are constantly being attacked by uh, security forces and, and the police that are trying to prevent people from... It seems almost like they're trying to prevent people from leaving. Um, or at the very least, they're trying to prevent people from hitching a ride where they're not well, supposed to I think to it's be. like they don't know if people are infected or what's going on. Yeah. So they're trying to keep everybody rounded up. Yeah, people are turning into monsters. It's, it's not a good scene. 
And so this issue deals with this group almost entirely. The BPRD doesn't show up in any way at all until the very last page. But the BPRD not being uh, in the issue at all is not a problem. I mean, these characters are engaging. I am very interested in the story of this girl and what her connection is to what's going on. Uh, Now that the BPRD has shown up, I want to know what they're going to do to respond to this situation. The... Art in this issue is phenomenal. Guy Davis has been drawing the BPRD comic since it started uh, years ago, and every issue is a treat. He's got such a unique style, and I just love it. He could draw anything, and uh, it's deceptively simple. Um, It's kind of scratchy and loose, um, but his sense of design and uh, draftsmanship is just excellent. The colors uh, pop off the page. Guy Stewart knows how to set a mood. And the, there are no books on the stands that can touch the Hellboy books in terms of design and color. I really, really enjoy it. The writing by Arcudi and Magnola uh, is great as always. The characters are dynamic. They each have their own voice. This book is about basically brand new characters that we've only read read about for the 22 pages, and I already want to know what happens to them. Except for that scruffy guy. I was kind of hoping he'd get eaten, but he didn't. Uh, sorry if that's a spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. Scruffy guy doesn't get eaten. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a really good book. BPRD, has, uh, it's a series of miniseries, uh, but basically it's an ongoing title and it is one of the best books on the stand consistently. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I kind of prefer it to the Hellboy stuff, um, mainly because the Hellboy stuff seems so removed from what's going on in this you know, corner of the comics universe. Uh, that's changing. BPRD is spo- Hellboy is supposed to be coming back to the BPRD. For now, though, they're still on their own, and it is still great. I give it a buy it. Yeah, I totally agree, Joe, especially what you were saying about Guy Davis's art. There is nobody in the business right now that can draw dogs and monsters like this guy. And it's just it, his <laughs> style. It's, it's absolutely or his dog style. monsters. Or dog monsters, for that matter. But, yeah, he has a really strange, loose style that I usually don't care for, to be quite honest. But there's something, and I can't even describe what it is in the way that he does it, but it's so visceral about the way that he draws things. They look... Gross. His monsters look fleshy and bulbous and, and wet, sharp. And yeah, they just look absolutely awful. And he's created such a great tone for this book and this universe. And it's probably because he's been with it for as long as he has. And it's great. I think Dark Horse is really good about keeping these artists on these properties so they maintain a feel. Whereas a lot of DC and Marvel books were getting short runs of six, 12 issues, yeah. and then boom, rotating creative, creative teams. teams yep. Yeah, I, Dark Horse does a wonderful job of maintaining this team. The writing is top notch, the art is excellent. I, I give it a, a buy it as well, and I'm really excited for this series. Yeah, there is no mistaking a Mignola book. I totally agree. And you know what I think it is? I think it's John Arcudi. I think John Arcudi is a stronger writer. Than Mignola, because if you look at some of some of the early stuff, he stumbled a little bit. But yeah. Arcudi came in and works with him, and God, they're great together. Yeah, Mignola is great for concept and um, imagination. The ideas pouring out of that guy's head are just gotta, sick. Would keep a normal person <laughs> up at night. Yeah. Um, but what Arcudi brings to the table is the characterization, humanity. Yeah, um, definitely. 
to a ridiculous situation. I mean, Houston is blown up in a volcano with demons coming out of it. Yeah. And somehow I care about these people. <laughs> yeah, and it, this is just a, a really great story about people just trying to survive despite the fact that not only are there flesh-eating monsters out to get them, but they're also on the run from the cops who want to run them in because they are ruffians or perhaps they think that they're monsters, whatever. Or infected or what but, have you. Um, yeah, it's just there is no mistaking a Mignola Universe book. The consistency across the line is really something that other comic companies should aspire to. All right, that's a double buy it for BPRD Gods number one. Now it's time to get into our picks for Wednesday, January 19th. These are the books that are coming out next week. I am really looking forward to Thor 618, which is by Matt Fraction with art by Pascal Ferry. I have loved this run so far. I will say there is a serious change in tone, and I think maybe it shook some people, going from the JMS Thor to the Kyrian Gillen Thor, which were very much rooted in Asgardian lore and felt a lot like fantasy books. This latest run is, is pretty sci-fi, with aliens coming from hmm. the 10th world to take yeah. over the, the world leaders, the section of the world tree where Asgard used to be. It's, it's really highbrow sci-fi. It's fun. Thor is really well written. The art is absolutely gorgeous, and I can't wait for this one. Yeah, Pas- Pascal Ferry or Pasquale Ferry uh, is a really good choice for Thor. Yeah, um, really solid, and it very Jack Kirby and sort of the tech that he's drawing. Yeah, and I've always loved his art since I first saw him back in the '90s. Um, a really unique style, very, very cartoony, but not in like an, a, a ridiculous way or a Japanese way. Yeah, no, um, just. Uh, really, really appealing. And Odin's back, by the way. Hey, oh, yeah, Odin, uh, <laughs> you know, formerly dead. Sure. Now no longer dead. We smashed his coffin and he's feeling much better. But, you know, if I had a... You can't swing a dead cat without hitting a comic where Odin died and then came back later. Sure, and they're so. gods. They're gods. Gods, they, they come and go all the yeah. time. Everybody's I, back. I had, I had zero, uh, zero confidence in the idea that Odin was not going to come back at some point. Of course not. Joe, what are you looking forward to this week? Uh, I, well, apparently we are Matt Fraction groupies because my pick is Invincible Iron Man number 500. Um, The the two-headed nerd firmly on Matt Fraction's job. Well, you know. (laughs) Uh, I also love X-Men. But, yes, uh, Invincible Iron Man 500. uh, Invincible Iron Man has been a phenomenal read uh, ever since it started. Uh, right uh, after the first Iron Man movie came out. Um, yeah, I don't remember Tony Stark being this human ever. Like, uh, yeah, the characterizations ever. are really compelling, uh, in fact. Like Pepper Potts. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I, it's almost, I could read the book even if Iron Man didn't ever show up. If it was more about Tony Stark rebuilding his life and and uh, that sort of thing, yeah. I would still find it really, really compelling. The Iron Man stuff is sort of ancillary. In fact, uh, my one complaint about the book overall is that I, I think Fraction has a tendency to drag out storylines. Um, I thought this the previous storyline with the Detroit Steel and the daughter of uh, Justin Hammer and uh, who her, I really like. I think they've done a great job. Yeah, with with her and Obadiah Stane and their relationship. Yeah, and, and good characters, but like that storyline lasted forever it seemed like um overall i think invincible iron man is a fantastic read i'm very interested to see what is coming in uh issue 500 tony stark 70 years in the future where he is trying to investigate the gaps in his memory um i don't know if that's going to have anything to do from the storylines 
uh, right around Siege, where he like rebooted his mind. Oh, I think it's got to be. Yeah, but uh, it's going to deal with old Tony trying to fill the gaps in his memory, trying to figure out if his enemies have taken advantage of these uh, little blocks of amnesia. Yeah, because the synopsis kind of sounds like 75 years in the future, he lost. Something bad happened. Oh, yeah. And, and, and <clears throat> he's trying to figure out where he screwed up. Well, if you, if you follow the, the news sites and the larger Marvel universe, you can kind of see this picture that Fraction and Bendis have been building this kind of future storyline where something is coming. The America's Most Wanted arc dealt with that where uh, Tony in his mind is like seeing these kind of alien machines um, and there's just this vague premonition that something bad is on the horizon. Uh, Avengers recently had a storyline where they saw a future timeline of horrible events uh, that are all about to happen like right now. And, and you look very Tony Stark centric. Yeah, actually, it's looking like this is all linked to Marvel's upcoming event, Fear itself. And I am really, really interested to find out what the hell is happening. I wouldn't be shocked to see maybe Tony Stark is the bad guy in the future. Well, yeah, Tony Stark has always been portrayed as kind of a jerk, and you know he was on the let's let's be honest with each other, he was on the bad guy side of Civil War, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, uh, so if that's where they're headed, that's an interesting idea. I'm really intrigued, and I cannot wait to find out how this is tied into Marvel's next big storyline. Well, that about does it for the inaugural Two-Headed Nerd comic cast. If you like what you heard, drop us a line at Twitter at Two-Headed Nerd. You can also shoot us an email at TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. So check out our show notes and become a fan of this podcast on Facebook under the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast page. If you want to check out more from me, you can read my comic speculator blog at WordPoint.com or follow me at Matt Baumstein on Twitter. And I am at JoePatrick116 on Twitter. You can read my comic strip Good Plus at www.goodplusonline.com. And we also have a Twitter feed at Good Plus Online. That's all for now, nerds. But make sure and tune in next week. We'll be talking more comic headlines, reviews, and comics we're excited about in the future. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And we will see you again next week. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Out. Out.